This is an ABC podcast. How much of your life can you fit on a plate? Is there a recipe that sums up your personal story or your history? Food plays a really big role in people's lives. I could see how food played a, a role in the different faith cultures. It's a way of being together because it's not only one person's job. Hello and welcome to Soul Search. I'm Meredith Lake. As Muslims around the world observe the holy month of Ramadan, we'll be thinking about food today and the stories and values we attach to it. A bit later in the show, we'll meet the creator of the Recipes for Ramadan project. It's an amazing venture, whether you fast or just feast. First, though, come with me to meet a family from Afghanistan who'll be observing Ramadan for the first time in Australia this year. They've arrived recently with a proud family history of promoting the rights of women in their country, as well as a traditional recipe that, to them, represents solidarity between women. Hello. 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 My name's Meredith. Yeah. How lovely to meet you. you nice Thank you for having me here. Thank you. Can I leave my shoes? Yeah. 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 Thank you. I'm being welcomed into the home of a Hazara family belonging to one of Afghanistan's ethnic and religious minorities. There are six adults here today, including a human rights lawyer, a teacher of Persian literature, a pathology lecturer, a homemaker, and the two people that I've arranged to meet. Rahmatullah, a sociologist, and his younger sister, Farok, an economist. Uh, first of all, welcome to our home. Uh, my name is Farok. I am uh, 25 years old and from Afghanistan. It's about three months that I'm in Australia. Thank you. My name is Rahmatullah Tahri from Afghanistan. I am from those people who are surviving by help of the government of Australia. Right now we are here. Now I am very happy to meet you today. You are most welcome to my home. Well, thank you again for having me today. It's wonderful to meet you. You mentioned you arrived three months ago. Many Australians will know, I think, about the fall of Kabul last August. I wonder what your story is. Actually, you know, traveling from one country to other countries, sometimes you're a traveler, sometimes you're a refugee. But I'm a refugee. I know the situation in which we are leave Afghanistan is very hard and very difficult. But people in here, especially when we arrive in the Brisbane airport, so a lot of people come and welcome us. And a lot of people help us. What we need. What should we do when we all live here? They are asking about our choice. Which, which city you want? Where you want to go? It's your choice. So it is a pleasure for us that people is, uh, welcome very warmly with us. We will never forget this. And I hope that I can do anything in the future in here. And that after that, when we arrived in Sydney, a lot of people came here. And they all help a lot with us. There is different organisation in here, SSI, Centrelink, TIF, and especially the hospital. So they are um, doing their best for us. 
that it's uh, something that we are not uh, feel before with us. So I'm very happy. I hope that the society will accept me as a person who can do something in the future for the society. Um, before coming here, maybe all people around the world may know that what happened in Afghanistan, um, especially that uh, it was so bad time for us. During uh, my life, I'm 25 years old. Uh, it was war, always a war in Afghanistan. But um, during uh, last year, it was um, more than other years. Every week or every month, we heard that the uh, Taliban is near Kabul, or maybe tomorrow or the day after tomorrow, they come to Kabul. On August, the day before that Taliban came to Kabul, uh, I was work. I was at office. It was a normal day. Uh, everyone go to school, universities, uh, work. Women's like uh, they are free to go everywhere. Those girls that work somewhere, they are free that they can go everywhere. But that, that day that Taliban came to Kabul, everything was stopped. Like uh, most of uh, universities, schools, office, uh, governmental office, most of them were just closed for about uh, one month. Uh, it was so bad time because we are not at the house, my home. We just leave our home and uh, went to uh, some other's house. Uh, yeah, it was so bad time and it's very bad memory for me. Uh, after that, um, we received an uh, email from government of Australia and uh, we uh, came to here and it was so good for me uh, that uh, we can continue our life uh, and uh, uh, yeah, it's very good. I'm here and uh, like it's a very good place for me because I meet so many good people that uh, I, I feel like I'm at home. I know the Islamic holy month of Ramadan is coming up very soon. This Ramadan will be your first Ramadan in the Southern Hemisphere in a different season. What do you think will be different? Actually, Ramadan every year it came in the different months. This thing is not uh, very important that the, the day is long, the day is short. But the most important thing is what we are going to do, what we feel and what's our responsibility and what's our job. Not as a Muslim, as a human. It's an experiment. It's a social responsibility. In Australia, the only difference is that uh, we are meeting with different people, with different ideas. And the most important thing is, is that we should accept their ideas as a human being because she have their ideas, he have their ideas. We should respect them, their ideas. Maybe they are not fasting, especially there is a lot of Muslims, they are not fasting. So it's our responsibility in this situation, this is a responsibility for us to respect every people. So it's their life. The most common thing is this, the differentiation and different culture in here. 
So when you saw different people in around you and different ideas, different cultures, try to learn from them and respect them what they are doing. So I'm very happy in this month that I can also, as of after fasting, I can exercise different things with different people. It's very important for me. Hope that it will be continuous. Could you tell me how you are preparing? Um, Ramadan is a holy month for every Muslim, uh, such as me. Uh, we prepare something like uh, some food, like our special uh, traditional food, like uh, a palau, bologna, uh, shak, mantu, like this, and also getting uh, to fast and do uh, those things that our religion say to do uh, every month in year, but especially in Ramadan. Actually, we have a lot of responses, social responsibilities. For example, uh, we are living in a society. A lot of people are around us, and the Islam religion told us that non-violence is the important thing in every time, but especially in Ramadan months, that we are not doing anything that hurt the people. This is the important thing. And also the, the very common thing in Islam, and especially in Ramadan, they said that you should try to help people, those in need. For example, sick people in their house. This is the message for us that uh, Ramadan, in this month, we should uh, help the people and uh, be prepared uh, to help the community in those ways which they are needed. In this city and especially in the world, a lot of people are in a lot of need at the moment. Who taught you that message about non-violence? Do you remember how you came to understand that so deeply? Uh, you know that uh, everyone is born in a family. It's maybe you are born in a Christian family, maybe you are born in other religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, or every religion have their own thoughts. So I was born in a Muslim family. So in the first time which I was uh, a little baby, my grandfather told me, please do not hurt the people. Please do not uh, uh, do something wrong that people will be assaulted or do not be the people. Be very polite and try to do your best. For example, right now there is a war in Ukraine, there is a war in Afghanistan, there is a war in a lot of countries. And all the people need help. So it's our responsibility, our social responsibility, that we should do our best for our, all the people, if we can. It's my responsibility, not only Islamic thought, but it's a social thought that we should do our job. But right now, in everywhere in the world, we have responsibility to save the human, save the nature, to save all what is alive in the world. So in these months, we exercise these things. If you are not helping, your fast is not acceptable. Not eating or drink is not the matter. The matter is that you should prepare yourself to help the people. Do not judge the people. It's the way that uh, our family all the time told for us that do your best for the, for the community, for the people who is in need. Farok, what do you remember about your grandparents? Was there something they taught you that has become important to your life, even your life here in Australia? Um, actually, I didn't see my grandfather 
but uh, I live along with my grandmother. She was a haji, went to the Hajj. She was, she was so kind and um, she is a teacher for us. She said that uh, you are a girl, you should know your rights what you want from society and what you should do in society. Like uh, she said that you should uh, learn knowledge and you should know what's your religion say for you, what's the rights that religions society give you. Uh, like um, every girl should um, learn knowledge that uh, can help others. Uh, when a girl go to university or go to school, uh, she will be um, an educated person that uh, when a girl be an educated person, in the future she will be a good mother that grow and uh, make um, people best in the society. And my grandmother is a teacher for me that teach that I should learn knowledge. And Farok, you did. You studied at university for many years. Can you tell me how you collected knowledge in that way? Yeah, I studied uh, in, in Afghanistan. Uh, economics management. It was uh, a very good experience and it was very good for me. During studies, uh, actually my grandmother, like she is dead, and, um, but I remember all the thought that uh, she told me. During the studies, uh, every time that I meet her, she'd say that, yeah, it's okay, you should go to university, but do other things during uh, university. My grandmother said that you should do something good uh, for peace in our society. And, uh, during the university, I have some courses for uh, children, for students in schools. It was peace building and also for those girls that they are in school, for some training about gender equality. And because of that, I think uh, I did my best during university. <laughs> Ratmat, you also worked in gender equality yourself. Could you tell me a bit about your study and your work as well? Actually, I have a BA degree in sociology in Afghanistan, and I have an MA degree in sociology in India. I was working with different organizations in Afghanistan, especially about the violence against women. Mostly I'm working with those uh, women whose assaulted or hurted by their families. I have a lot of projects in domestic violence and family violence, which is very important for me because, you know, most people is hurt in their house, but nobody is asking them. A lot of people is uh, facing with sexual violence, with economical violence. There is a lot of problem in the family. Mostly they are not let the girls to go to school. They are not giving money for them to their, their jobs. So I feel that it's a responsibility to try to study which way should we choose in the future to reduce at least. We cannot remove every kind of violence in the society because it's something it will take time a lot. But at least we should reduce, we should teach the family with some program in the TV, radios, that people learn how to behave in the family, how to behave with his wife how to behave with his daughter, children, or those who is in the family. So this is the project which I did in Afghanistan. I have written a book about domestic violence in Afghanistan. So it's about five years ago. 
And before we came to Australia, I have also a project about domestic violence in the north of Afghanistan. So it's a kind of uh, research which we make an interview with uh, different women. And also there is a questionnaire. This is what I did in Afghanistan. I hope that I can do this in the future. So it's very important for me to help. I'm thinking about that all the world. Rahmatullah Terry, a sociologist who works mainly in the area of family violence and gender equality, speaking to me alongside his sister, Farok, a university-trained economist. She worked in the Afghan Ministry of Finance until Kabul fell to the Taliban last August. I'm Meredith Lake, and I'm visiting Rahmatullah and Farok at their home today for Soul Search, hearing some of their story and learning about their plans for the Islamic holy month of Ramadan. Uh, yeah, in Afghanistan we have a special night um, during Ramadan. Most of the time is in the first of Ramadan uh, that we meet other people. Like in my family, we are about uh, three families, like my aunts and uh, my uncles. Uh, we make something at my home and then we share with them. Yeah, we have a, a small garden in my house in Kabul. My uncles and aunt come with uh, their food that they um, make in their house and then come when we share together. And it was a very special night and uh, it's very memorable night for us. In here also, we meet some other people, uh, not uh, just Afghan or uh, Hazara people from my uh, country. Uh, we, we meet other people, Australia, New Arabian countries. Uh, they are so nice people. Yeah, we have planned that uh, one of the, during this Ramadan, we will make something and share with other people that uh, make a good memory for ourselves. Well, I know you like to cook and, and cook a lot. Could you tell me about some of the things that you will make that are special to you that you uh, would normally make during Ramadan and maybe at other times too? Um, yeah. In my country, there's a lot of special food. The thing that I love is bulani and also palau because it's so delicious. Uh, palau is made from rice, um, coats. It's a main food and um, bulani is um, maybe main food and maybe dessert. And uh, when we make that, two or three people, maybe four persons, they uh, come together and uh, make bulani. What, what are the main ingredients? Actually, you know that it's a traditional food. In my village when I was a little baby, I saw that the women went to the nature and they were bringing different vegetables and cutting the vegetables. And after that, washing the vegetables and uh, putting uh, in the salt. After that, there's flour. They are making uh, wheat with them and after that they are putting all of this uh, vegetable in the floor. Uh, there is two ways of cooking. One is cooking with oil and in the pans. So it's very easy. But the others, uh, there is uh, oven, a special oven and they are baked in the oven. The baking in the oven is very delicious and the, 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 after they are bring out uh, there is some special organic uh, food that they are making from milk. Making of a bolognese, uh, it's a way of uh, being together. Mm. 
because it's not only one person's job. So there, it's a division of job. One is, uh, for example, making the floor, the other is uh, bringing the vegetables. So a lot of women come together and making the bologna. And it shows the solidarity of the women. Mm-hmm. Especially the old women some have something from the past. So they are sharing with the new generation. I love this idea of bologna as a food that women make in solidarity with each other together. Who taught you to make Bulani Farouk? And and did you have like one job to do to make it that was specially yours? I uh, learned how to make Bulani from my mother. And uh, when I was a child, about six years old or seven years old, um, we are living uh, in a village. My aunts, my mom, they come together and start making that. And on that time, we just play around them and uh, they just uh, gave us some piece of floor and we saw that how they make and how they cook that. After that, when I was 14 or 15 years old, um, my job is that that I put the gandana inside the floor, then uh, my that's my job because it's easy that uh, <laughs> it's more than uh, put in the oil. That's my job. And uh, right now, because I'm I'm the youngest person in my family, but right now my job is uh, that that uh, after they make the bulani, I'm uh, putting in the oil and cook it. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, you you live here with people in your family. How will you prepare bulani this year? Uh, actually, you know that. Uh, Hospitalities, uh, we feel it's our responsibility. Anyone, anyone who's coming in our house, it's our guest and we respect them and it's our job to do the best for them. So it's a proverb in Afghanistan that people say, go to the poor families, they will bring the best things that they have. Yeah, it's something that uh, we try to do for every guest in, in here. So already we are prepared for you and for those who's with you. Really? <laughs> yeah. This really? Is, yeah, yeah, of course it's available here. We have made different kind of food right now. We have already shurnakhot, we have already bulani and kabli palau available, yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, we are welcome you in here. So oh. the... Uh, it is, uh, you know, that uh, the way that the women are making this bologna, it is their feeling. Yeah. How they feel, how they respect their families. In the Ramadan month, during the Ramadan, this feeling is very deep. Because everyone is trying to do their best, not only uh, my mom, everyone in here, try to do their best for everyone. So... We all prepare everything for you as a, uh, as our guest, as uh, we love guests. In my country, everyone said that the guest is not our guest. It's a lost guest. Uh-huh. So it's the most welcome. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It's very kind of you to, to treat me as your guest in this Thank way. I, it's a huge privilege. As we move to the table, I'm feeling pretty overwhelmed by the hospitality of the Taheri family. Rahmatullah and Farokh, their sister Freshta, Rabia, their father Asadullah, and his wife Jamila. 
Look at this. Wow. You everyone? Yeah. <laughs> together. Okay, wow. Look at it. Bologna. It's wonderful. Look at that. Yeah. There's so many. There's maybe what? 20? 30? Thank you. Uh, when we start eating brownie, it's not one or two, maybe four or five. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, uh, and this one? Uh, this one is... Um, Korma. Which one? Korma. Korma. Yeah, it's uh, beef meat. Beef? Okay. Yeah. Beef. It's uh, boneless. Uh -huh. Yeah, especially they are making boneless. Uh, uh, sometimes uh, we are making uh, uh, the beef with the, the rice. And this one you were telling me about earlier. Yeah, it's palau. Palau. Yeah, it's yeah. palau that makes from this. The carrot and the raisins. Yeah. And the, the rice. rice yeah. And you the, must have got up very early. No, it's okay. Yes. And uh, when we eat bologna, yes. the special thing that we eat with this is uh, dough. Dough? Yeah. Okay. It's a and drink of... It's dairy. Is it a yogurt or yeah? Yeah. 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 Okay. And, and uh, meat a, or what's in it? In here is it's a uh, yeah mint. Mint. Yeah. Mint. Yeah. yeah. Mint. Because it's very Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And the, the other thing is um, chutney. 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 Yeah. Oh. It's made from uh, different vegetables. There's some chili, chili as well in this. Yeah. 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 Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and who who made it? Yeah. Yes. It's all the it's a colourful table, and as we eat and talk together, I learn more about their lives in Afghanistan, including the discrimination they faced as Hazara, as well as the different ways that they each worked to help the society around them. Rahmatullah told a story that goes a long way to explaining why this family, for generations now, has been so committed to improving education, especially for girls. It goes back to their grandfather, Muhammad Taher. He was a village elder who stood up to the government of the day over how the poor were being mistreated. As a result, Muhammad lost his land and was exiled from his province. But he embraced education for his children and left a profound legacy for them all. My grandfather was excelled by the government about 18 years ago in Afghanistan. So we were originally from Ghazni provinces, so my grandfather excelled uh, from Ghazni uh, province to Baghlan's province because he was speaking against the government. So after that, my grandfather started working with a, fact with a sugar factory as manager of that factory. On that time, my father and my other uncles uh, lived also in my village and went there. They arrived there. My grandfather thought our family should be educated. 
this way we can continue our life. From this way we can help the people. Because there is no doctor, there is no teacher, there is no engineer in my village. On that time, my grandfather helped my father, my uncles, my aunts. So they are residing there. And the bad story of that time is that, that my uncle was uh, got the first position. And there are some people that not let them to go to school, their children, their families. But my fathers helped them and support them. Once my grandfather told me that uh, you have a lot of opportunity, you should study. I said, uh, what opportunity? He said for me that when your uncle and your father studied, there is no white paper is available there. Just uh, newspaper that it's come weekly. Weekly paper is coming. And uh, we just giving that paper to your father and your uncle and they are just writing their homework in the margin of the newspaper. So you have a lot of opportunity. It's, you are not like your father. My father and my family study, and also my grandfather helped my aunts that they all got knowledge. Both my aunts study. One is a pharmacist and the big one is uh, a doctor. Yeah, a medical doctor. My mom's also study because the only way their fam my families want to help the society is education. So right now, you know that all my families all, uh, there is only two, three boys in my family and more than 20 girls. So all our, our girls study in different countries. My grandfathers thought that if you have a, a woman in your family that she is educated, she can change the life of thousand people. If uh, a, wom a woman is educated, she can raise a good one in the society. But the mans are not like this. Because the only one who can change the world is a woman. It's my grandfather's thought. And what a thought. Educate a girl and change the lives of a thousand people. A thought that has guided the Tahiri family for decades, but which seems much harder to realise in Afghanistan now, with the news recently that the Taliban have closed all schools to girls above sixth class until further notice. For Farrokh and her relatives, newly arrived in Australia, with eight university degrees between the six of them around the table, there's still a strong desire to help society. But now the big question is how? We finish our meal together, and eventually it's time for me to go home. I'm very glad to meet you. I leave with some extra bolani and palau to share with my kids, thankful to have met the Taheri family and to have enjoyed such generous hospitality. I'm Meredith Lake, with you for Soul Search, and staying with the theme of hospitality, we're going to meet a new friend of the Tahiri families who runs an award-winning digital project called Recipes for Ramadan. Jane Jeffs is a storyteller and producer with a special interest in multiculturalism. Her long career in film and media included a stint as the executive producer of the ABC's Religion and Ethics Unit. In more recent years, though, Jane has launched a new project, sharing recipes from every corner of Australia's diverse Muslim communities, as well as the stories of the people who cook them. Farrokh and her family are contributing their recipe for Afghan bolani, for instance. Jane Jeffs joins me now on Soul Search to tell us about recipes for Ramadan. 
The original idea was to use food to unlock family stories and by unlocking family stories to unlock a wider sort of social and political story that told the stories of Australian Muslims and to a large extent explores what it is to be Australian in the 2020s. The idea initially was a a TV pitch actually to SBS, who loved it, Um, but then their commissioning priorities changed. And I didn't just want to do a chop and chat kind of program. This was really a travel and discovery kind of program that used food to unlock social and a wider political history and and an understanding of the countries from which Australian Muslim families originally came. And a lot of those countries are countries that have been badly affected by conflict. And I think it's really important for the rest of us to understand those stories because they are part of the wider Australian story. This this idea, as you say, began as a television pitch. But on the website, Jane, you do say that you've been thinking about something like this for a, a longer period, perhaps even since you first travelled to India as a student. What yes, do you think I the have. seed of it was for you on a, on a personal level? Because, I mean... A great idea for the media is one thing, but this is obviously something that's meant a lot to you. How would you begin that story? Yeah, well, I suppose, I mean, I actually grew up in a village in the middle of England, which was really quite white. Um, And I say monocultural, I mean, you know, it, it, you know, had a spread of people who did different jobs. It was largely a kind of farming area. My father was in sales, computer sales, but our nearest town was Wolverhampton. And Wolverhampton is really, really multicultural. It has a big population from India and Bangladesh and Pakistan, the former Indian subcontinent, and also sizable populations from Africa, different countries in Africa, and from the Caribbean. So I think probably I was always fascinated by different cultures and how we all have different pasts and different stories. And aside from doing a little bit of traveling in Europe, the first place that I went to for any long period of time was after I graduated from university. And I went with a then boy, my then boyfriend to India and we traveled there for 10 weeks, staying long enough in places that you, you know, started to get a little bit under their skin. And I think food plays a really big role in people's lives. I could see how food played a, a role in the different faith cultures. My own family background is Catholic. So the the Eucharist and the communion is about bringing people together through food. Maybe I only came to realise this as I got older when I saw how that tradition plays out in, in other cultures and other faith cultures too. And that's probably where mm. I started having more food adventures perhaps than I'd had, you know, growing up in a in a family home. It's interesting your reference to the Eucharist there um, because, I mean, food can carry very profound religious significance as well as the kind of cultural and family significance that we can all understand. At the same time, Jane, and maybe this is a reflection of my own upbringing in, you know, 1980s Australia in a fairly white area as well, there can also be a kind of shallow multiculturalism that that's only about food, you know, that almost reduces the diversity of our community to a diversity of cuisine and that, you know, multiculturalism is just a matter of enjoying other people's tables that's not actually as inclusive as it might be. How have you tried to navigate, I guess, the potential limits of associating food with multiculturalism with this particular project. How have you gone beyond that? 
I think you're right about it can be very shallow. And I think I think it's very shallow if all you are is a food tourist. I'm not sure I've used that phrase before, but we've just been talking about, you know, the traveling that I did as a student. And I think if all you're doing is visiting, you know, a Vietnamese restaurant one week and a Cambodian restaurant the next week and an Afghan restaurant the week after, that's great fun. And I'm not going to knock that because I think that can open doors and it can start really interesting conversations. But I think it's about the conversation that you have over and through food that actually takes you somewhere deeper. I feel quite privileged that over the years, I've been to a lot of different iftars, school iftars, community iftars, iftars held at mosques, iftars held by individual families. Um, And maybe it's because I ask questions a lot um, and I prefer to hear about other people's lives than to talk about my own. I'm the sort of person who, maybe because I'm also fairly new in Australia and my roots aren't here and I regularly have conversations with taxi drivers or with anybody from anywhere else about the challenges of living your life and bringing up your family and in some senses starting a new life when you also have your roots and your heritage somewhere else. Um, so that whole idea really is what fascinates me, I suppose. And and I think for, for very many people who are in a similar position to me, whether they come from Afghanistan or Bosnia or Bangladesh or Somalia, they enjoy t- talking to somebody else about the challenges that that represents for them too. The pride that they have in the place that they come from, the fears that they sometimes have related to the place that they come from, the pride they take in in their heritage and in understanding more about their family story. You know, often you'll have these conversations and, and people will say things like, gosh, I haven't really had this sort of conversation with somebody before. And I guess it's just because sometimes people can be hesitant about asking other people about what may seem private and personal. And hopefully I'm not so rude or impertinent as just to kind of jump in there straight away. And and I kind of think that people open up to you when you open up to them. The other contrast, if it is a contrast, that I'd be interested to reflect on with you, Jane, is the difference between the kind of storytelling that's possible in, you know, traditional media formats and the kind of storytelling that's possible around the table, as you've just described. Because I suspect that one of the reasons that you've attended so many iftars is that you've spent many years here at the ABC uh, with religion and ethics, engaging communities from all across the country, from all kinds of faith and cultural backgrounds. Do you think this project has impacted you in ways that, say, your work in that kind of traditional media didn't or even couldn't? What, What would you say about that? Um, yes, no. I mean, I, I've, I mean, for a long time before I was at the ABC, I was working in this, this space. It's what I did in the UK. I'd done a lot in what I suppose the BBC might have defined religion. And I, I would have defined to myself the fact that we just live in a multicultural world now. And that's something to explore and celebrate. So I'd done a lot of work in that space. And that's, I think, why the ABC wanted me to, to come and work for them is that I, kind of helped widen out, particularly perhaps in regard to the the Muslim community, the kind of networking that religion and ethics was able to have in that space. I think it's interesting what you're saying about, is it different to work in a kind of digital and social media space than it is in traditional broadcasting? The The project was first 
envisaged as a program, as, as a series for television. So it only really became or pivoted, who knew that word <laughs> two years ago, it only pivoted to become a, a digital and social media project because it was a community project when COVID had raised its ugly head and it meant that Ramadan was going to be celebrated or the experience of Ramadan was going to be so different than it ever had been before. You know, people were locked in their homes. They couldn't come together. They couldn't invite in extended family. They couldn't invite in their neighbours, their friends, their colleagues, the wider community. So it became a very sort of insular experience. So I had I had talked to a lot of people about this project over the years because it had been something that, that I wanted to do. So there were people who who already knew about it. And when I realised I was going to be sitting at home with not very much to do, I just thought, well, I might as well try and run this as a community project with schools and with the community media organisations that I know would be really interested. It, it might just be something fun when when otherwise people are feeling that actually socially and being able to share Ramadan in the way they would do normally is, is just not something that's possible. I mean, given your long experience connecting with these communities, working in this kind of space with your various commitments to multiculturalism and including to Muslim diversity, I guess I was asking a more personal question, Jane, about whether whether this project and its mode opened up something for you in, as a storyteller that that perhaps hadn't been possible in those more traditional forms of media? Well, I think in the time that I was at the ABC, because I was a manager rather than at the work face, I really missed being able to to talk to people, to be able to, to do those interviews and to do those stories myself on a regular basis. I think that what I've loved particularly about this project is that people are telling me their stories and I'm helping tease their stories out for them and sometimes making them think about things that they haven't thought about or haven't thought about for a long time or made them have conversations, encourage them to have conversations, you know, with their extended family and to think about what that means to them. So just as a a real example, just over the last few days, I've been helping a, a contributor tease out her story. She's from Bosnia. Um, She's been here longer than I've been here. I met her in 2002, relatively speaking, not long after I arrived and when she still felt fairly new. And I was making a film for the International Red Cross and um, New South Wales Law Week, which was part of an event I was producing, which was a mock criminal court trial about women as victims of war. And I wanted to say, look, you know, women as victims of war aren't just people on the other side of the world in some banana republic, as you might see it. They are people who are our next door neighbours in our streets and suburbs across Australia. And the reason that they are here, as opposed to in the land of their heritage that they may never have thought of leaving, is because they have been victims of war. And we need to understand that if we are to understand part the evolving Australian story. You know, Australia is not what it was in 1950. And just going back to Isetta, um, who, I, who I then interviewed and made a film with about her experience as a victim of war in Bosnia, you know, now 20 years later, 20 years on from when we first met, we're writing together, putting a contribution together for this project. And 
the anniversary of the start of the Bosnian War, or what's what's recognised as the start of the war in Bosnia, is April the 6th. And 30 years is a long time. But people who survived that war are still living in the shadow of it. And when they see what's happening in Ukraine, for example, they relieve their own horrors of running with their children and a plastic bag and being separated from their husbands. And in many ways, I find it an enormous privilege that people will share those memories and those fears with me. Jane, this project, Recipes for Ramadan, the contributors are mainly from Muslim backgrounds, uh, obviously, but I noticed you've contributed a personal recipe as well. And so I wonder what Ramadan means to you as someone who, as you've said, grew up Catholic, but has spent so much of your working life and your personal energy and curiosity engaging with the huge diversity of, of Muslim communities in the world, but certainly here in Australia as well. What does it mean to me? Well, I, I think for me, it's become a really special time of year, a bit, a bit like the lead up to Christmas. And I suppose that's because I've been lucky enough to be invited to lots of iftars. So I've shared the breaking of the fast many times. I've emceed different different events for the Mufti, which have been great fun. But they've also, it's, I guess they've also been for me ways in which I've been made to feel really welcome in Australia by a community or by communities, perhaps I should say, that weren't the ones I came from at home. And so, yes, it, it, it has been a really special time. And I think the significance of food at Ramadan is really important. You know, going without food is an act of selflessness, not so very different from Lent, where you abstain from things that normally you would enjoy and normally you depend on and take for granted, food and water. Uh, Similarly to Lent, in order to be able to identify with people who have less. But then at the end of the day, the breaking of the fast and inviting in other people to do that with you. And I think that that idea of inviting people in is something that's really taken off in Australia, which certainly over the last 20 years when I've talked to people back in England, hasn't taken off in quite the same way. So yes, I think Ramadan has become an important time for me. In the context of contributing a recipe, I had no intention to contribute a recipe because I don't see this project as being about me. I just really think that I'm a facilitator. And the only reason that I did that, the the soup one, was in the first year that we did this, which was 2020 when COVID first hit. It was all very, you know, an 11th hour and last minute kind of project. Let's just do it. And the Mufti, who I know really well, had said to me, I'll give you my soup recipe. And then in actual fact, of course, he was in isolation. And so his soup recipe, which was going to launch the project, was never forthcoming. Um, And so I have a beautiful book called Sacred Food, which I've had for years And in that book, there was very, very little mention, actually, of Ramadan, but there was a a Moroccan soup recipe. And I just thought, right, well, you know, if the Mufti can't give me his, why don't I try this at home? And so that became the sort of the first recipe. And we used that story about the Mufti to launch the project in community media. Listening to you, Jane, it strikes me that the heartbeat of this project is is not so much food, but 
a kind of hospitality, a very profound kind of hospitality, and your own experience of being welcomed to Australia by the various Muslim communities that make up the life of the nation today. Thank you. Yes, one of one of the people that I've become like close friends with, who was a contributor in the first year, um, Nazreen Hanifi. She's from an Afghan background. She has an enormous family here. And last year in July, it was my parents. My parents had a big wedding anniversary. And the way that the um, the lockdowns worked was the UK came out of lockdown just in time for 20-odd people in my family to gather together for the best part of a week. But we were in lockdown here. And as you all remember, we weren't actually allowed to leave the country without special exemptions. Um, which you couldn't get for those sort of personal reasons. And so I was here when my family were on the opposite side of the world. And Nazreen was one of those people who, you know, bless her one day, you know, I just got this lovely arrangement of flowers and the most beautiful note saying, you know, I know it's really heartbreaking that you can't be with your own family, but I hope you understand that you do have family here and how many people think you're really special. Sorry, that's going to make me feel really teary. Um, because, you know, she's really special now to me. And I think that's, you know, when when you you asked what the difference was between this and the work I've done in social media, maybe one of the things is that the relationships are ongoing and the intimacy is ongoing. Hmm. Well, the reality of the pandemic, the experiences of lockdowns have obviously had a big impact on the way this project and all the relationships that have come out of it have have taken shape over the last couple of years. Now that lockdowns have lifted and a kind of face-to-face interaction is more possible than perhaps it's been in the last couple of years, what do you expect and hope the future of Recipes for Ramadan might be? Well, it's definitely going to run again this year because, or it definitely is running again this year, and that's partly because we won this Premier New South Wales Premier's Multicultural Communications Award, which was a lovely kind of recognition, I think, for the people who had shared their stories. Last year, many iftars did take place. I went went to quite a few because we were in a little window that seemed safe. There are lots of invitations that are just coming out at the moment, but people are really worried that across the month of April, this new variant is going to spike And I know, for example, the Premier's office has cut back on the number of people that they wanted to invite because they're concerned about social distancing within the space. So hopefully, you know, the big communal iftars will still happen and the family iftars will still happen. I suppose for me um, and for the people who've been involved, this year there there are various community partners who want to do kind of recipes for Ramadan kind of functions or iftars, you know, reflecting the recipes and thinking about multiculturalism as well as sharing their own stories in a face-to-face way. And I think longer term, you know, it really would be great to get our act together and and look at a book and maybe to to re-explore that idea of doing a series. I mean, we we couldn't have travelled in the last couple of years anyway because of covid but as I say, the original idea was for a, a television series that involved travel, you know, back to the land of our ancestors, so to speak. Um, not to the land of my ancestors, but um, unless people want to come to Ireland. <laughs> but, you know, back back to the <laughs> land um, from which Australian Muslim families came and to explore their culture and, and their heritage. And a bit like with Who Do You Think You Are, for them to 
to find new things by being able to travel back there themselves. Well, in the meantime, Jane, people can head to recipesforramadan.com. There are some wonderful stories and recipes there, including your own, as we've discussed. Thank you so much for introducing us to the project and uh, just reflecting on how important it's been to your own life and, and journey here in Australia. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Well, that's my pleasure. Jane Jeffs, the creator of Recipes for Ramadan, a project that was recently named the 2021 winner of the New South Wales Premier's Multicultural Communications Award for Best Use of Digital or Social Media. You can find the project online at recipesforramadan.com, also on Instagram at recipesforramadan, as well as on Facebook and YouTube. There are lots of great ideas there for a cook-up, whether you fast or just feast, and more importantly, some really compelling personal stories to read, including one from Izetta, originally from Bosnia, whom Jane just mentioned. You can head to the Soul Search website for more information. You might also like to listen back to our earlier story today. I met Farok and her brother Rahmatullah, an economist and a sociologist respectively. They've arrived recently from Kabul in Afghanistan. We talked about food, about their plans for Ramadan this year, but don't miss what they had to say about their extended Hazara family. For generations now, they've prioritised education for girls, as well as many other reforms in their country. Amazing people. For now, thanks to Nadia Elgoli and Rowan Salmond for producing this episode of Soul Search, and to RN's Isabella Tropiano for sound engineering. Also, special thanks this week to Jane Jeffs for helping us to arrange the interviews. I'm Meredith Lake. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.